Welcome back, folks. It's Nick Hammond here with Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast. Hope you're doing okay, guys. It's cold out there as I talk. We've had the winter blast this week, haven't we? Um, and I've still got some snow on the garden as I look out of the window. No doubt that will be gone covered in rain by the end of the week, but uh, the kids have had a nice time. And we've been out with the dogs messing about in the snow, so at least that's a bit of uh, a little bit of excitement and joy in our otherwise tedious lives. Um, yeah, everyone's still well and truly locked down. No signs of it getting any better soon. Uh, but to hell with all of that. Today's guest. You really need to catch all of this podcast because this is a really, really interesting guy and a very cool guy as well. Pep Williams, he is a fine art photographer, a music um, video director. He's a professional skateboarder and a hero to thousands across the world. But most importantly, he's a really lovely man and he's got a really beautiful lyrical voice that you will hear in a second that you could listen to all day long, as well as his great stories. So, um yeah, just extraordinary for a, as I say in my uh, uh, chat with with Pep, that for a young guy, uh, a young Englishman, back in the day, you know, I didn't know anything about skateboards, but to think that there were teenagers in America earning, you know, six figure salaries, going around and touring the world, mind blowing. Anyway, Pep did that, and now he's selling pieces of artwork for um, seven figure tickets. So he really is a great bloke. And what's interesting is he also tells you how to lift yourself from one of those guys looking up at the legends into their stratosphere. So I highly recommend you sit down with a coffee and a smoke and catch up with Pep Williams. How are you? Hey, Nick, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to hear your dulcet tones again, my friend. Are you uh, well? Oh, this is so cool. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Always, always. Bless you. That's kind of you. So let's talk. Where should we start? Well, let's talk about Cuba for a start, because that will warm me up. I'm sitting here. I've got my little gas heater on. It's not very warm. <laughs> that was so cool, wasn't it? Cuba was, I have to say, I've been all over. That was one of the most coolest experiences because it wasn't, I guess you could say, not so much planned because it was planned in a way, but it wasn't like fake planned no. if that makes any sense it's there was just, no itinerary was there yeah 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 it's just let's go let's figure it out let's let's do it but the thing that made it amazing is actually the people mm. it's actually the realness of it there is no fakeness there is no uh pretentious it was just hey this is us i'm accept like i'm accept us as we are and that part i loved because they're all hard workers and they see you, they smile, they keep it going. They don't want anything from you because they're busy. They're in their own worlds. And I just love to be an observer of that. And it was just amazing. And plus I had my first cigar in <laughs> Cuba. That just, I never smoked before. It's so crazy. <laughs> you never had a single puff of anything before? Not a cigarette, a joint, um wow nothing nothing at all but well, i let, couldn't let's let's couldn't talk take. about that because you couldn't be in a better place so 
we we sat around the table there was you and i and lawrence and we're having a cigar and i can see you're a bit you know you, i can tell you're a thinker sort of a guy you know your mind's going you, you sit you watch you listen oh, i was i was nervous but i wasn't but i was <laughs> <laughs> because how can you all right um um hiroshi um he, he uh, comes over sets this table filled with cigars yeah freshly rolled or whatever and he says, here, <laughs> what do you do? So I'm just sitting there. I said, I can do this. It's no problem. Mm-hmm. So, so I did it and I played it off pretty smooth. Like yeah. Lawrence knew I didn't smoke. You know, he knew I never had. And like a few in there laughing, <laughs> even Melanie. But, but I think I did it pretty good. But the thing about it is by, I guess maybe the, Maybe the third day, I was really getting it. I understood the flavors. I understood uh, the appreciation of it. And uh, and like to begin with one of the best on the market, I mean, it was amazing. And then um, coming back um, to America, and I said, all right, cool. I'm going to try a cigar here. I said, what is this? There is no comparison. And I then I understood why people love Cuban cigars so much. Yeah. I thought a cigar was a cigar. I just had no clue. Well, I was surprised because you took to it like a duck to water. But I mean, in particularly, Lawrence is not one for having a little small, nice, gentle cigar. He likes massive, fat, strong cigars. And you I can't do little ones. They have to be the big one. <laughs> See, he's giving you the bug. But like you were picking up his that. Super Marios and just firing them down like they were oh, like tomorrow. Those are those those were one of my favorites actually like each time i talk to lawrence i say lawrence what's up with the super mario (laughs) and um actually when i go because i have a few cubans here and my friends that have their cigars and when we go to the cigar lounge i finish before them really yeah because i just i i just enjoy it more i guess (laughs) and they're sitting there talking i say well Maybe yours isn't as good as mine, <laughs> but <laughs> I just enjoy mine a little bit more than my friends do here. Did you, um, so when your pals used to go off and smoke cigars, you just went fair enough and left them to it before? Oh, they would give me uh, boxes. No. Um, like like my friend Matt, he owns uh, Room 101. Yes, Matt um, Booth, yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that's like my brother. And um, I've known him for years, years and years. And he would give me boxes and I'll say, oh, cool, thank you. But I would like friends would come over. I would give them a cigar. I never, right. never smoked one until it was right in my face, and I had to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't really back out of it. And by the way, for the listeners, that was Hiroshi Rabina we're talking about. So we we're on the Rabina plantation, and yes. he shows us to this table as Pep says, and it's got every sort of cigar under the sun. And he says, "Here, shove, almost shoves one in your mouth." It's, sort of thing. It was. It was a pigtail. And then he said, this is oh, a pigtail. Yeah. And I'm trying to act like, yes, I know. And it was probably my <laughs> first time seeing it. And I'm like, okay. And oh. just like trying to be cool the whole time. You carried it off brilliantly, I have to say. And what about the guy with the with the finger missing? Oh, him. He's He was like, oh, and actually, I still have that cigar. Oh, yes, you showed me. Yeah. Yes. I still have that cigar he rolled. That's right. Because cool. I plan to save it because I didn't think I would actually smoke a cigar. So I said, I'm just going to keep this 
as my first rolled cigar. But then the next thing I know, after um, we left, I easily did over 20 cigars. <laughs> so, yeah, you easily did. And that easily, easily. So that guy was in his 80s, wasn't he? In his 80s, super nice, super cool. He um, worked in the fields um, as a youngster. Yeah. And then one day he was cooking, cooking pork. I believe it was, and then he was using a, a machete to uh, cut the pork and he chopped his finger off. And then he really couldn't work in the fields too much anymore. So he started to roll cigars or or vice versa. Yeah, he worked in uh, rolling cigars and he chapped his finger off and then he uh, had to work in the fields. That's, right. that's and then what it was. Ever since then, he en ended up at Hiroshi's farm just rolling little smokes for people that visit the farm, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, you're quite a bit like me, Pep, in that you are a collector of stories like that. I can just tell that you could, I could point at any picture of yours from years oh, ago and you would go back and tell the story. Uh, I'm, that's one thing about me. It's actually uh, music and pictures. Right. Um, I can hear a sound and also like smells, certain smells. Mm. If I have a, like um, a Cuban cigar, for instance, and if I, um, actually um, close my eyes, not actually smoke, but actually smell the smoke. Yeah. It's a different experience and it actually takes me there. And it's yeah. amazing, man. It's, and it's funny because people are like, why are you s smelling the smoke in the cigarette? I said, you just don't know. <laughs> cause I, cause I love that scent, you know? And, it, and you're right. A smell is one of the most powerful things that takes you straight back into the moment. Oh, I'm right there, right in the moment, totally. Um, and we had a chat at quite some length there, and I found out a bit bit more about your background. I was just fascinated. Tell us a bit about how you grew up and got into your skateboarding and things. Oh, yes, of course. Well, um, I came up in Los Angeles. Um, I was born there. And then at the age of four, um, like we all had our little bikes. We had our little toys. Our mom would buy us. But my sister, she wanted a, wanted a board for some reason. Like, a, just, we don't know, like, if she saw it in a commercial or right. saw somewhere, someone on one, because I had never even seen one before. So she wanted one. But she would go to, she would go um, to um, kindergarten because she was five years old and I was four. And so when she was um, in classes, I was at home and I would ride the board. So she would come home and then we would fight over it. And our mom got so tired of us fighting. She got her some roller skates and, and like then I would ride the board, but then we would fight over the roller skates. So she would take the right one and I would take the left one and we would ride it like a skateboard. <laughs> we were always competitive. Brilliant. And then from there, I just totally, it was just, like what I did. And I didn't even know people actually did it because our mom always called it a toy, which it yeah. was. And up until I was 11 years old, I never saw another guy on a board before. Oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't know it, but I was so good at that time when I started catching the bus to go to Venice. I just saw hundreds of skaters. I was like, this is cool, right? And then this was back in 1984, and that's my, you know, entering contests, getting sponsors, 
And then from there, it just went on from tons of commercials, you know, a couple films, God. you know, like things like that and touring. Like I started touring at 16 and it was, it's wonderful. It's super cool. It's fun. And it was a great experience, but me, like I've, like, I'm always looking for more. It's uh, not that I get bored very easily. It's just, I know this can't last forever. Yeah. Even though I have friends in their, you know, 40s, upwards of 50s, like they're like doing signings, they can ride a pool, I can still ride my board as well, but you're not making any money. Right. As a youngster, these kids are millionaires now. Seriously. Like with us, long time ago, we might get 4,000 bucks a month or, you know, $5,000 a month. And so I just wanted to uh, continue to travel. It wasn't even about the sport. I just love to travel and meet my friends all around the world. So that's actually one of the reasons I, I got into photography really heavy. So when you were, sorry to interrupt you, when you were skating and you got these sponsorships and then you went on tour, what happens when you go from city to city, from country to country? What do you actually do? Oh, it's super cool. Um, basically, um, you're like a like a mini rock star, really? <laughs> almost like you have a lot of fans because they read all the magazines and like all the blogs or whatever. So they already know about you. And if you go every year and every year and and the companies you're writing for, they keep pushing you, you become their fan. And even now um, I come across people like especially in like the Midwest in America, or if I'm in Germany, some like little town, just randomly, someone will come up to me and be like, Pep, I've had you on my wall since I was a little kid. No way. And it's, it's just really cool. And it just made me realize at a young age, everything you do can actually affect someone and affect someone's life by basically how you're represented by what you're talking about, or what you stand for. So I really try to make everything I do positive and just like make it cool and fun and educational as well. So that's when my photography came into play. It's actually like that now. I have fans of my work who are real, like real collectors and then people who pull my things off the Internet, which I don't mind. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, Like you can't really fight that anymore. And so... Like I've seen my work on T-shirts, um, no. hats. I mean, it's it's amazing. And um, like back in the past, I used to like I'm gonna sue you. I'm gonna da 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 da. But it's like, come on! I put it out on the internet. Like, what can you actually do except waste time trying to fight someone in Brazil who you'll never? <laughs> yeah, unless you're Coca Cola or something, it's a waste of time, isn't it? And- and I it's, guess it's, it's a negative energy. You just got to try and say, do you know what? Not all noise is good noise, right? Exactly. So I just say, hey, just send me a magazine or send me a shirt, you know. And right. then like this guy, he was actually making masks. And he masks. Yeah, 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 just a mask. And he had a bunch of my photos on there. And then I just um, like I contacted him and then I said, uh, where'd you get these photos from? This I didn't like. Then he's like, well, this and that. And then I said, well, those are actually my photos and you didn't get permission to use it. 
no, 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 this is the band's photos. I said, well, I actually shot the band and I own a thing. And most people don't understand yes. the business and the copyright and all that stuff. And he's the one guy I, I kind of like did the legal thing to. Did you? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was, because he wasn't. money out of you, yeah. Yeah, like he wasn't like a real fan, a young kid. He's trying to actually make a ton of money. And so that's when it's different. But if it's just some kid who's just trying to get a start, I don't really like get upset about it. Very, yeah, it's just such a strange phenomenon. So you're going around the world doing, and when you're at the tournament, is it's all tricks and things that you do, is it? Yes, um, it's tricks. Me, I like I know my limits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't try to do like even now when I do signings, because I do a lot of signings now. Right. Mainly across America and in South America, like mainly Sao Paulo. Really? And like I tell everyone, I say, look, I can sign T-shirts all day long, but I'm going to skate maybe 20 minutes and everything beneath my knee. I'm good. <laughs> Anything higher than that, forget it. So have I messed, you, um, little, messed around. Have you damaged yourself from all those years of, of? No, I haven't broken anything, but my shoulder would pop out all the time. Right. It would pop out so much that it didn't hurt anymore, and I, that's when I knew something was wrong. I said I shouldn't be just putting my arm in like like a Lego, like just like oops, it popped <laughs> out. Let me put it back in. No. Yeah, so then I just like I became aware of it, and it hasn't popped out in a long time. So, <laughs> so I'm happy. That's a good thing. But is it? Are <laughs> lots of people taking bad tumbles and injuring themselves, or is it not quite that extreme? Well, with me, I've always, I like I've seen people's fingers pop off. I've seen people's uh, um, legs like snap, arms break, uh, all in front of me. But for me. I've always known my limit. Right. I never really tried to impress anyone. I did just enough to get the job done. You know, and you have all these guys trying to impress people. Yeah. And they go out and get hurt. And for what? Yeah. And did you see, that reminds me, the other night I watched, there was a documentary. I'm not sure if you would ever have seen it, but it was on Evil Knievel. And I remember as a of kid. Course, Evil Knievel, of course. Oh, my God. I, you know, when I, even over here, he was a household name. And yes, the I guy the toy, was... The motorcycle. Yeah. The one you wind up. Yes, that's it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and he used to do wheelies and things. Yes. And, uh, and the guy is just batshit crazy because he just kept smashing himself to pieces and then doing it again for people with sort of viewing pleasure yeah some people i have friends like some of my friends who get tattoos um yeah you know all over their bodies they actually like the pain really and um some of my friends like really the most injuries i know are my friends who do bmx right Every bone is broken, oh. face bones, ribs, you name it. But they keep going because my friend, um, he, he basically said he, it's not that he likes the pain, he likes the risk. And it just feels amazing knowing that uh, when you get better, you, you like um, come back two times as better. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't, it's, do they not? I mean, if it happened to me, I'm pretty sure I would be, 
I'd say to myself, that really hurts. I don't like it. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I am on certain things. Because the last time I fell hard, oh, it was horrible. I just said, no more. I'm keeping it cool. And yeah. I was even doing a trick. That's the part that sucks. <laughs> I was like, like if I've been doing something big, then cool. But I was like, I'd done a trick and I landed and I was rolling. And there was like a grate right. on the sidewalk. And my wheels hit it and it got caught ah. and it and it pitched me forward. But my um, hands didn't uh, react in time. Ugh. And I just went straight head first into the sidewalk, air knocked out, you name it, yep. messed up, done. Uh, exactly. I, then you think that is horrible. I'm making sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> but uh, what I was thinking is, how come my hands didn't react? Mm. That's what I was thinking. So I said, right. forget it. I'll never do it again. Problem solved. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's that's very that's, easy for me. You know, that's the intelligent way of looking at it. I think. But <laughs> not, I mean, not, when I you were do it again. <laughs> when you were a kid, were you doing sort of more dangerous or daring stuff? Well, um, as I grow older, I learned something about um, coming up in that career is uh, when you're young, you go for it. You want to do it now? I can actually do every single trick because I understand it. I, right. Like I understand the technique now. It's so easy. But when you're young, you're just going for it. You're jumping off of like benches, tables, cars. You know, flipping your board. Now I understand. Okay, you put your foot this way. You do this. Boom, done. You're young. You're just who cares? Yeah. But then, like, then the body doesn't react, but the brain is really good now. So it's messed up, you know? <laughs> because, like, before your body's good, but your brain doesn't know anything yet. Yeah, it's very true. And then also, you just think, oh, what the hell, you know, I'll experiment and, and see what comes out of the end. Basically, yeah. But, but, I, but that was the worst I felt pain ever in skating by just slamming down and it just knocked my wind out. And I couldn't believe it. Where was that? Um, like a few years ago, actually. And in America somewhere, were you? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I was just trying to hang because my problem has always been if I'm around someone like doing it, I know I can do it, then I do it. Right. And it's like, all right, cool, I can do it. And I actually did it. I was skating so good until I hit a crack. <laughs> <laughs> That's a okay. good metaphor for life. A, a crack took me out a while ago. That is a perfect metaphor for life. <laughs> um, funny. But so nowadays you are, how old are you now? Right now I'm uh, 49. 49, 49 okay. Yes. So you still jump on your board every week. Oh yeah, yeah, like me, but I'm smart though. Yeah, because but you're I not have... doing tricks, but you wouldn't dream of not cruising downtown on your board every now and then. Well, the thing is, is I have a long board now. Right. If I have a short board, I'm too tempted uh. to do tricks. So so like I have to trick myself, basically. Yeah. Because because I know me too well. But if I have a long board, all right, cool. I'm just cruising. It's like good cardio, you know. But if I have a short board, I see some friends. Hey, let's go to a spot. Okay. And it's like, Ugh. but now I can't because of my longboard. But I love it. It's amazing. 
That's really interesting because it's a whole culture thing that we don't really have over here. If you see a sort of middle-aged guy on a skateboard, everyone goes, blimey, that's a bit weird. There's, yeah, um, it's interesting because there's more in France, there's more in Italy, and there's more in Germany. But in the UK, not so much. No. Because in uh, Milan, they have one of the biggest um, parks uh, for skating there, but it's inside. And it's beautiful and tons and tons and tons of people. And then when I'm on tour with Suicidal Tendencies and we go to a lot of the European companies, I mean, countries, basically all the skaters come out to the shows. Mm. And the, and, uh, the heavy ones are always in uh, Germany, Italy and France. Right. But the UK, it's more of like the music guys and and it's yeah, but it's so it's so true. There's very few skaters there. What is uh, suicidal tendencies? So um, su suicidal tendencies is basically a band. Right. They've been around since around '83 or so, and super uh, popular. They've toured with everyone from you know from the Metallicas to you name it to just top. They've been touring over. Well, since then, basically, since the right. 80s. And I've been touring with them for, man, over 20-something years. Really? Yeah, yeah. And we've been everywhere, you know. Like, we do, the most would be around six tours a year. And uh -huh. then, at the least, maybe three to four. And what Every is your time. role when you tour with them? Are you official photographer? Or are you skateboarding? or what? Um, It's more of like uh, photography, uh, video, and also PR. Right. And I'm just working um, like that. But it's cool because um, uh, when we go places, I would actually sometimes book the shows from the touring, what I would do. And it's just the, the most uh, beautiful thing about it is you see the same people. Yeah. Every year for like 20 something years, you, you, you see the kids have kids. Wow. And it's like a family. It's almost no it like it is. It's like a family of us. And we just, you know, it's beautiful. So anywhere I go, it's always like a coolness. And you, 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 you like know people. And yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like it's wonderful. And you don't get tired of it. You well, like uh, when you leave the first week you want to go home right oh, i'm sick of this tour bus i can't even turn in my bed i have to rotate because it's only like <laughs> two and a half feet wide and yeah and you're a, a big guy right yeah on a bus with 12 guys and you're <laughs> like what is this crap but then after that you're like all right let's go to the next city and the next city and then when you're coming home you're like man i wish we could stay out another two weeks how long so, how long a tour do you do they range between about anywhere from as short as a couple of weeks to upwards of six weeks. Okay. And, and it really depends on the country. And in the early days, was it pretty wild? Um, for, for me, I've always been that type of guy who wasn't that crazy party guy because right. I was kind of the, the observer. Yeah. Whereas my friends, they're all getting like coked up, you know, drugs, the full rock star party, skater life, girls everywhere, <laughs> anything you wanted, didn't need money because everything was given to you. My God, really? For like the past, what, 10, 12 years of that. And that's the one thing I hate about skating, though, because 
here, um, um, if you're a skater, you don't need money. You don't need anything. You don't even need a place to live. Really? You can crash on somebody's couch. You'll have the most beautiful girlfriend you can imagine. And if she goes, there's like 10 more waiting. And um, um, because it's that beach life. And, And like tourists, they come here. And they go to Venice, for instance, or Santa Monica, and they see, oh, this is the real culture, right? Yeah. But the guys, sure, they have a girlfriend for a month or two, you know, then she leaves, then, then like a next one. So that rotation never stops. Yeah. Except you get older. Exactly. But the girls don't. Oh, man, I love it. There's always some, some like a uh, 20-year-old. Yeah. And if you're a skater and if you're in your 30s, you still look 20. Yeah. Because you have no stress. You're having fun on the beach until you start to look older. Yeah. Then it's like, why am I hanging out with you? And then, boom, overnight, you have to become an adult. And I've seen many of my friends get ruined um, because it's that carefree life forever. You don't have to do anything. And. Uh, and um, like if you're semi-sponsored, like semi-popular, it's even worse. Because now you're like a celebrity in your own mind and you get so much love mm. from the people, what you think is love. Oh, this is cool. I'm just crashing or I'm just here and like, and it's okay not to have a car or it's okay not to have money yeah. because I can find a girl who has a place and like food. That's a skater surfer life. Wow. Not all but the ones who do it for a long time and they don't really uh, go beyond that. Which is a, a wonderful life for a young kid for a few years. Oh, it's amazing. But, it is the most best experience you can imagine Yeah, until you become an adult, but you're still acting like a kid. Yeah. And then I'm imagining that there's easily a slippery slope you can go down that ends up in not a very nice place. Oh yeah. And a lot of the guys, they get depressed, obviously. Yeah. And then that's where the drugs come in. For me, I just think it was back in, because I never knew what money was. I had no idea, never had it. Right. right? So we're just like traveling around the world. They're giving us money. They're, they're like giving us t-shirts or whatever. Cool. Thank you. And then we come home trying to pay our rent. But in 1992 is when I uh, start, like I got hired in the music business. And then that's when, I was like, wow, I can actually go buy a car. (laughs) I can actually go go do this. I had no idea. And that's what I hate about that industry is these companies don't teach the youth. They just use you for what you're worth and next because there's some more kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, that's the classic sausage factory, isn't it? What, you know, in one end and and then they come out the other and, um, and, and, and while you're good, you're good. And as soon as you're not, move on to the next one. Just like that. And there's legions of them. Really? Like all over the world. But these days they earn massive money, do they? Massive, 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 massive. Like there's these uh, teenagers, you know, young kids, easy six figures. Um, Like every endorsement, you're getting like 100 grand, 200 grand. um, If you're really good and not even really good, really, really popular. Yes, marketable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Like you have a shoe, like if you have a shoe sponsor, guaranteed, like easy 180 grand. Jeez. If you have, you know, then it's a board sponsors, T-shirt, 
da, 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 da. And then it adds up. So you're making 600 grand a year and you're 17 years old. Jeez. But you're not but taught what to do with it. You don't know what to do with it. Your parents wind up taking it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, well, I can do it because I did it before. But now you're 24, 25, and maybe you aren't as cool as you used to be because there's this next one coming up and they toss you. Yeah. Well, you you must have been quite a strong character to take a step back and watch that without diving in. Most kids would, would, would just wade in and well, end up, well, end like, up on the other side in the in a in a the music industry that's where i was dumb <laughs> How come? oh my goodness i had the brand new lexus i had the rolex i had i was acting dumb i was hanging out with like dennis rodman with like tupac and all these guys no way. and they're all like real millionaires and i'm just a kid i think i was making around 160 grand a year and I would, I'm thinking, what, that's around $15,000 a month. Well, I'll just spend maybe 20000 a month because I have another fifteen coming. Right. That, that was my thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and which was fine. But then as I, as I learned to actually not like do that, I think we all have to get it out of our systems. Yeah. If we happen to be in a situation like that, just get it out, blow it cool. But now you're still working. But I was lucky enough to learn to save my money. And then I got married. And then and then she took it anyway. So I should have spent it. <laughs> <laughs> you wish you'd spent it, yeah. Wish I'd spent it, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there's always a lesson to be learned. But it sounds like, you know, you've sort of managed quite well. You took your hard knocks, but they weren't as hard as they could have been. And I, and I know that um, your mother's a very strong figure in your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like my mom's cool. She's, you know, the principal, uh, the teacher, you know, big on education and all that stuff. Yeah. So she's always been there. But what really where where I learned are actually asking my friend's parents and right. asking people who are actually doing what I want to do, because I'm not trying to learn anything new. I'm not trying to like make some type of invention. If someone is a success at what they're doing and it's what I want to do, I'll just ask them and I'll mm -hmm. copy the formula. It's so much easier. <laughs> That's very true. And, and it is so much easier. When you were a kid growing up, going through all this fancy times, I'd imagine at some stage you thought you were the bees and knees. Did your mum keep your feet on the ground? Actually, no, 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 no. Our <laughs> mom raised us to be exceptionally independent. Right like exceptionally, meaning when I was, how old was I, 18, 19, somewhere like that. My mom was like, go to school, get a job or get out. <laughs> Those were the rules, period. Right. I went to school and I remember sitting there in our little study group or whatever. And I was like, we're talking and then they're talking about, yeah, when I graduate, I'm going to save some money and I'm going to go to Europe. Then I'm going to, then this person's like, I'm going to go to Japan. I'm sitting there like, I I've been there like six, seven times. This is my future. And I went home and I told my mom, I said, I can't do this. And then she's all, well, you know, the rules. Mm -hmm. And then I said, yeah, but I make more money than you. And then she's like, it's not about 
the money. It's about responsibility. I said, it's about the money. I don't care. And I went in the room and I got a backpack and I said, I'll call you in a few days. And she said, okay. Really? And I hitchhiked around the entire U.S. for around nine months. Wow. The best experience of my life. Because during that time, I didn't have a mailing address, no way to make money, but I had my friends from touring. So each city I'd go to, I'd like crash at my friend's house, I'd meet new people, and then we'd all go in like groups of six or seven to every single, like my goal was to go to every spot I saw in the magazine. Wow. Like skate the coolest spots. And I said, forget it. I have nothing to do. I'm going to do that. Nine months. And then when I came back home or back to L.A., my mom, she said, hey, you're welcome to come back. I said, are you crazy? (laughs) I said, I'm good. It's a world out there that I didn't know. Well, like I knew, but I didn't get to see it through my own eyes because it was always someone else um, guiding me. Yes. You know, like I chose if I went left or if I went right. And it's beautiful. So when I see guys out there trying to make it like believing in something like a dream or something they want to do, I just said, don't let anything take you away from that goal. Because if you don't do it, you will always regret it. And me, sure. I could have went to school. I could have finished like my law stuff, been a lawyer um all that but I was like that's not that's never been me and then I told my mom I said it's your fault Mm -hmm. I said it's because you raised me like this and that's the truth (laughs) we have always been very independent and my sister's even more than me really what does she do oh she's she's huge like like I call her mini Oprah she uh she basically um she deals with the mines um in Africa Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, the only American woman that, um, like, she has offices here, um, Hong Kong, and in Dubai, and in Sierra Leone. Whoa. And so she basically, like, if, like, a Chinese client wants gold, you have to go through her. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't realize how the mine business worked out there. Because we hear a lot about South Africa, we hear yeah. about a lot about West Africa, but Central Africa and parts of East Africa is where like the mines are. And she's all pep, you don't understand. <laughs> you you have no idea what money is. <laughs> How on earth did she end up doing that? Well, my sister, she's just, that drive, her drive is insane. Wow. It's, um, my, this is the way my sister thinks. It's like basically, okay, money. I need money. What can I do? What is money? What never depreciates? What's the best way to maintain? And she came up with gold. Yep. And then she got her license. And then she's like, why am I dealing with the normal, like middleman people? I want to go right to the source. So as a so as an American woman, she went to Africa and they don't really deal with women over there on no. that level of business. But she was so like a uh, persistent that the uh, chiefdom, one of the chief guys that owns a bunch of mines out there, he just wanted to meet her. And my sister, she does not stop. <laughs> and they're all, you're in charge of all of this. Wow. She's beat. 
Yeah, she's she's a beast. That's an incredible yeah. story. I'd, I'd love to chat to her sometime. And she always says, Pep, uh, when you get some money, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I did, oh, and I told her this. I just said, yeah, uh, maybe I could learn it. And she looked at me. She said, oh, no. Really? She said, oh, you can never do this. You, you, you're, you don't have that. No. Uh, what's the thing? I'm too passive. Yeah. I'm too like, man, I got to do this today. Whereas my sister, she can just boom, 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 boom. Like just a bull down. It. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to take a couple of days off because I got a headache. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and it's, but that's what that's the beauty of people, isn't it? But, you know, some people don't have any problem with being, you know, controversial or confrontational or mm -hmm. exactly. you know, driving a hard bargain or giving someone a, a real bollocking. And, and, you know, I couldn't do that if I lived till I was I, 100. So there's no point pretending, right? Yes, yes, me. I could, like... If I have the money, I'll buy it, but I don't want to be there sitting, trying, trying to negotiate and get you for every penny. I totally agree with you. That to me is me with guy. horror. <laughs> it's like, because you get stressed and I just yeah. want to get stressed. Like I, I like half of the meetings I have on my bike, on the bike path at the beach. Really? And I just want to, hey, I'm at the beach. I'm cool. Sure, we can make a lot of money, but doesn't have to be stressful like pulling teeth for like an extra nickel keep it <laughs> if it's that important yeah you know? i don't need it that much i agree with you tell yeah. us about your photography how did that all kick off well my photography is um it was cool uh, back in 95 i think it was i was doing uh, runway shows like a bunch of fashion shows for some of my sponsors so i would do all the little modeling stuff. And then one day, one of the designers, um, a photographer he had hired, uh, double booked a shoot. So he was either shooting for this company or the other company. So he chose uh, the other company. And then the, the designer who I was with, he's freaking out. We need a photographer for like the next couple of days. I don't know what to do. And then I found out how much it paid. It paid $6,000. So what? I said, I'm a photographer. <laughs> and like, girl, what? And I said, yes. And they're, they're all, we had no idea. I said, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, what do you need? And then they're all, well, do you have a portfolio? Because back then there was no online. It was straight right. the book. And I said, we don't have time for that. We have to get this thing done like now. Brilliant. Yes, yes, you're right. You're right. So they showed me the storyboard, the content, and they gave me the check. And so basically what I did was I went to the local college and I put up a flyer looking for an assistant. Um, I paid $250. Oh. And then I said, the first person calls, gets it. Right. Guy called. He uh, came over. I said, what do you think we need for this shoot? We went to Sammy's camera here in L.A. and I rented the stuff. Really? And then on all big shoots, the assistant does everything anyway. Is that the norm, is it? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're on a big shoot, um, you rarely, like, as far as the lighting, the this, the that, and, you know, your 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 assistants do all that. So you, you're and like the director it. sort of thing? Hmm? So you're like the director of it all? Basically, yeah, basically. Yeah. So um, he set everything up, and I just pressed the button. Amazing. And he said, thank you. And then I said, this was too easy. 
And so, so I kept doing it over and over, like high-end clients, really, 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 really big. And then after a while, of course, I um, eventually learned how to do it myself. Yeah. But I got bored. I got really, really bored because you, you're making a lot of money. Shoots were upwards of 20, 30 grand. Right. You know, but it was, you're looking at the magazine and every spread looks the exact same. Yes. And I, and I wanted to be known for my work, my style. So I, so I walked away from it. And then uh, my mom said, what are you doing? Da, da, da. It's a ton of money. I said, no, I just want to do my own thing. And so I had to sit back and think, how can I make money with this? Just so happened, a friend jumps in and he asks to purchase uh, one of my works. I never even sold a print before. I never even printed a print before. Really? And I was like, dude, I'll just give you the file here because I didn't know. Yeah. So like he was from Japan and then he's all pep. Let me let me do a show for you out here. And it was some of my tattoo work. And I said, all right, sure. You know, every piece sold. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Because well, it's, for it's good it's money. Really, well, not so much. the Yeah, like the money was amazing, but it's just, this was me. Right. This was my style. This is what I saw. No creative director told me what they, what they wanted for their yeah. brand. And what's I was more, all of it. And what's more, people wanted it. Yes, yes. So then... That's how I got heavy into the fine art photography. And then I got sick of that, but not sick of it. But, but the business side, I thought I got like, I got stuck meaning um, because all of, well, not all of us, some of us, like when you're really good at something, you know, you're really good at something. You think, you know, everything, Yeah, which we sometimes do, but we don't understand the business of it. So I'm thinking, like, I'm selling pieces for 10,000, 20,000, or whatever, like 2,000. But I'm this guy's works are three, four hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And this guy's works, like, uh, my friend Peter, Peter Lick, um, he's a good guy. His works sell over six point four million dollars. No, what for a photograph? Yes, uh huh, for like a print. No way. And so. I said, well, I'm going to just do this. Da, 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 da. And then I'm shooting. I'm doing my stuff. Cool work. Yes, thank you. Magazines, couple fashion shoots, album covers. But that thing is that something was missing. It wasn't to show the appreciation of my work by the value of the price, but it was like, how come mine isn't up there? Mm, and then exactly. I, how do you make that leap? Yeah, so then I hooked up with a camera company with Leica. And then I started uh, doing stuff with them. But again, it was that same thing where I'm going down. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going up. Leica is an amazing company. Like the Kaufmans are super cool people. Like, But at the same time, you're in a stable of photographers. Yeah. And when they choose you to come out now you can go graze <laughs> and you can, you can all right now it's your turn to go eat we'll yeah. give you a little something now you come back and then wait the next till we day. call you again yes exactly so me i can't wait 
So I started doing more than what Laika was like appointing me to do. So then one of the guys, um, one of the higher ups, he basically, he asked, he's all, how are you getting all of the work you're doing? And I said, because I'm a professional photographer. <laughs> it's like, he was even confused. Yeah, I'm like, dude. And then I was like, I can't be under like a brand. I'm my own brand. Yeah. So then I got fed up with that. And then I just said, all right, I'm just going to ask my friend, Peter. I said, Pete, how do I do this? Right. And pizza pep is easy. So basically he, he, he uh, broke it down and it's basically this. If a high-end collector who has a budget of $200,000 to go buy art, they aren't looking at a $10,000 piece. So you have to make your work worth more than what it is. Well, not worth more than what it is, but price it higher. And I said, that's it? He said, yeah. I said, okay, cool. So I put out a couple pieces, 60 grand, and they sold. I'm like, wow, that was easy. So previously, you would have sold them for 10 or something? Um, about 20-ish, about right. 20. Right. But then I just said, but I can't, no one's going to buy my work for six figures. Like, it, I just can't see that. No. Unless I do something like my own way. So basically, I have a lot of artist friends who are exceptionally, like, they're the top in the in the contemporary art world. And their pieces go for millions of dollars. So I had my one friend paint on one of my images. It's a piece I haven't released. I refused to release for over 10 years. And I said, if I do it, it has to be something special. It has to be something good. And my friend, he said, Pep, this is amazing. And so he, you know, he painted on it. He did his thing very subtle but good. And it's going out on Friday, I think it is. Um, there's Friday. Yeah, yeah, Friday. And it's going for 1.4 million bucks. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the thing is, is that I've already had offers. Really? Um, yeah. People who have who, who I've shown because no more than maybe eight or nine people have seen it because it's going to be shown privately. Right. And you have to make an appointment and you have to, there's almost going to be like a background check because <laughs> it, it, it has to be that piece. You have to make your piece that, and it's going to be shown at the Waldorf, at, at the Waldorf um, in Beverly Hills. That's amazing. And yeah. So it's going to be shown twice a month and only 10 people like are allowed each time to even see it. And then that's when you build up that. Yeah. Wow. Of course. I got to see it or I got to that. And even if it doesn't sell for like a year or something, it doesn't matter because I'll still be getting press. Yeah. And my other works will sell and go up in value. And it's it's a business and it's you're uh, competing against guys who understand it, how yeah. to pump it out there and how to get it out there. That's amazing. It's such a such an amazing story about taking that massive leap as well from being a good guy at your job to being somebody that's world known. Yeah, it's you just have to just just try. Hey, you know why not? 
Just yeah. like, give it a go. What's the worst someone can say is no. Like when you look at Banksy, his works are amazing, right? But what makes them amazing? They're stencils. Yeah. You know, anyone can make a stencil. Anyone <laughs> can do that. So true. It's clever. Very clever. But what's what makes it? It's because of the marketing behind it, the timing and how he put it and how he priced it. That's it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. come on, I can go right now and make a stencil and put some balloons on it <laughs> and some bullets. Yep. But only he gets that money for it. Uh, that's very true. It's such an interesting thing. And to think you've actually crossed into that world and, oh, yeah, I'm doing it. You know, it's been shown privately at the Waldorf in Los Angeles. Could you ever think mm-hmm. that you'd be in this world? Yes, actually. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, because I my goal is to be number one. So it's not just to be like number one over like Annie Leibovitz or, you know, like a Herb Ritz, but to be of that caliber. Yeah. You know, and it's not about the money for me, but the money for some reason makes people pay more attention because my work is already in museums. I'm already in galleries. I've are like, I've accomplished that, but I just want to have to really uh, solidify my legacy in the photography world mm. where it's like, you know, hundreds of years from now, oh yeah, that's a pet piece because of what the content was. It's like, why are they happy in prison? Shouldn't they be upset? Like, is it a party in prison or this or that? So many different um, opinions and views on- Interpretations, yeah. He has interpretations. and. It's just amazing. And that's what I want my work to do, to tell a story, but not a definite story. It's something what you make, you know, what you create in your mind of that image. And that's the thing with, with art, isn't it? It's people have, people like it because they, they turn it into something personal, don't they? Something personal. It's like what they like, something like, like a meaning. And with that image, what I have of of Jay, uh, what's coming out is actually I can show you. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, do it. Okay. Is it there with you now? Yeah. Am Am I doing the um, sharing? I think I am. Oh, oh, there Hang it is. There it is. I can't. Ah, <laughs> uh, I got it. I got it. Okay, That's awesome. Right. So, this is what's going to be going out. Jay Adams. And yeah, so so this is me and Risk uh, together. Um, he's a famous artist. We've known each other over 30 something years, you know, really, really like he's in, like like his colors are amazing. He goes out and he paints hospitals. Really? Like it's it's insane. They fly him all over the world. He just huge, not 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 inside, but the outside. And just wow. those colors you see. It's it's beautiful. It's really big. And basically, um, it's Jay Adams. He's basically the most popular skater in the world. Most, you know, most of us, like a respected, I should say. Is he? And he's known for being that party guy, having fun, blah, 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 blah. But at this particular moment, he was like, there was a girl sitting next to him on the ground. And 
she was upset because she had just broken up with her boyfriend. Right. Jay had become like a father. He was speaking so intelligently, so fatherly. I was shocked because I'm used to him just party. Let's go skate. Let's go this. He became like his age, basically right. at that moment. It's a beautiful and picture. Then, and then when the girl gets up, she gets up and uh, the phone rings. So she goes inside and then I'm sitting there with the camera in my lap and I'm saying, and this look comes over his face and I'm telling myself, please be in focus because I'm shooting from my lap. Right. And he just had this look over his face and click. I took like two shots and that's it. And then he looked over at me and he had just come in from surfing, but, um, like the like uh, the Dogtown movie, they made that movie about him. He was a star about uh, that yeah. and everything. But he was a real, true, he lived that skate surf life to the fullest. And <laughs> I mean, to the fullest, like what, what we talked about. Right. I mean, the look on his face is priceless. It's uh, He's got a very far away look, but there's, you know, wisdom there and years, isn't there? A lot of years, a lot of stuff. And mind you, I'd never seen him like that. And really? so this is, um, it's called a perfect storm. That's the name of it. Right. Because um, it's me, um, uh, um, Kelly and Jay. And uh, we're trying to figure out like what to do. And then Kelly said, Pat, this is a perfect storm. It's like with us three together doing this, this is just amazing. Because I've had the piece over 10 years. Did he like the picture? Jay had never seen it. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, like no one's seen this. Like, like he passed away in 2014. Oh man. Yeah, so I never released it, and people knew I had this cool shot of Jay, but um, they just didn't know, like exactly what it is or what it was. And then I just said, "All right, let me uh, release it. I'm gonna do it. I think Friday probably. I'll do it. But I do have." Like, I'm going to show you, like, one more thing, which is really, really neat, too, as well. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, Nick, it's, it's, a, it's cool, but at the same time, it's very, um, like, um, calculated. Yeah. Timing has to be perfect. It can't just be, like, you, you know, flooding everyone with everything, like, uh, such and such. Man, it's hard. But what is cool. your thinking behind the timing? As far as the timing of uh, releasing the piece? Yeah. It was something I wanted to do because what I'm adding to it also is a book that's coming behind it. Okay. Yeah, there's a book like along with it. And I was just thinking I have to, like it has to make sense. It has to not just be one quick hit and like that's it it has to be something like really, really cool. Yeah. So I just said, all right, I'll do a book. And, but what I'm, I'm like, I'm actually trying to show you something else, but I can't pull it up. What I can do is actually make a book, book a tour and bring Jay's son with me on tour. Brilliant. So I said, all right, I'm actually going to do that. So that came about. And then I got hit up by monster energy drink to actually uh, do it. Well, like they contact me about a film 
because I've been trying to work on a suicidal tendencies film for years. Right. And they said, Pep, let's do it. I said, cool. So they, they basically, they're funding it. So it's actually getting made now. I actually told Lawrence about it. Lawrence uh, knows about it. And uh, the trailer we have, we have everything. And so this will all tie in to basically keeping my name and my work in the mix over this next yeah. year. Yeah. You know, with the book, with the art, and then with the film. And that's kind of how you want to do to keep it keep it cool because as we know now people look at things and if you're not there like within the next week you're totally forgotten about yeah so that's that's actually what um yeah what i've been working on actually like i can't pull it pull up on the computer because it's on my phone but i can show you like this hold on Oh, actually can't. Oh yeah, I can't. I forgot we have screen thing. The wonderful <laughs> technology. There you are. I, can I know. See it. It's all right. There I am. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Um, so this is. I hope you can see it good. This was a piece I kind of propped it up. Oh yeah, I got it. Oh wow. Yeah. It looks amazing. Yeah, there, and this is it framed. That's very clever. Yeah, so so you're actually the first to see it all like this. Wow. <laughs> well, that's amazing, Pep. It's fascinating to listen to that. It really is. And just a pleasure to talk to you, mate, and um, we could carry on forever. Let's No, we should start. go on so long. <laughs> We started with cigars. Let's finish with cigars. What have you yeah. had lately? What are you enjoying? Ooh, I had uh, the uh, Leenda uh, yesterday. Ah, what did you think? It's very, it's like um, a medium. Yeah. Well, it's kind of almost like a creamy-ish, yeah. creamy type. It isn't, it isn't bold like a Rubena. It, it's, it's. Um, no, quite smooth. Smooth. That's the word. That's the word I'm looking for. So I had that uh, the other day. I'm going to, me and my friends were going to that cigar lounge I showed you. Beautiful lounge. Yep. Is that near you? Yeah. It's about 15 minutes away. Oh my God. Like 15 minutes away. And I'm going to have the uh, Partagas. I think it's the number two. <laughs> We've got to get out there, pet. Yes. Please, please, please come and it's oh and it's interesting because of all the COVID stuff and all that stuff the yeah. Cig yeah, cigar lounges they have the best filtration systems <laughs> do they <laughs> yes so they're so they're like they're recycling the air constantly it's probably yes. the safest place to be it's probably like an operating theater isn't it so yes. yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna stay safe you might as well have a cigar just have a cigar and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm going to let you get on with your day. I can't thank you enough for sharing your time with me and talking about the amazing things you're doing. And um, and we'll definitely oh, cool. keep in touch and catch up. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. Thank you so much, Nick. This was just amazing. Just amazing. Nice to talk to you, Pat. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, brother. Bye-bye. There you have it. I told you it was worth listening to. 
What a brilliant guy. Thank you, Pep. I hope you enjoyed it, folks. So where are we uh, at the moment? Um, I, of course, need to remind you of Around the World in 80 Cigars. The book continues to sell very, very well. We have, I think we're up to 66, 67, five-star reviews on the old Amazon site. Thank you for all of those that have done this. This is, uh, and I want to read you the last uh, review on here. Really lovely thing to read. Um, so uh, Nigel says, as much a tale of the classic Brit abroad as it is about cigars, this book is giving me the itch to travel again. A writer is a man of luxury and likes to shoot game. I'm a working class punk rocker and a vegan. So there are a world of reasons why we probably wouldn't end up in the same circles. But cigars and travel would appear to be the great equalisers, as I can relate to much of the adventure and misadventure within, and laugh knowingly along with him. There's an irreverence in this book which is distinctly British, and I love that. There's also a huge sense of kinship among cigar people which tears down walls and leaves ego and politics at the door. After all, a cigar should be an island of calm, away from the stresses and preoccupations of daily life, and this book also provides that escape in a wonderfully funny and thought-provoking way. I'd recommend it to anyone with a passing interest in cigars, travel, or the human experience in general. Well, what about that? Nigel, thank you. That is a really lovely thing to write. Thank you for taking the time and effort. Um, some lovely, lovely words on there, if you're ever really bored, and have a look at some of the reviews. It's um, very heartwarming to read them, really, that the book's gone all over the world and, and, and has touched people. So, yep, I've got to remind you about that. I can also let you know an exciting development that the uh, evolution continues and Around the World in 80 Cigars is going to be an audio book which will be available very soon. By uh, from my website, read by me. If you if you can stand the uh, sound of my voice, I read the entire book. For those of you that um, can't or don't have time or don't want to read the book um, in its physical form, you can do so via audiobook. I will let you know uh, when that comes out. Uh, I must thank all my partners, uh, Souter, of course. Don't forget, Tuesdays and Fridays, Lawrence and I have live Instagram at 6pm. Um, and last week's was bloody hilarious, I have to say. <laughs> and uh, I hope that some of you are on that. But it really was just what we needed for a Friday. We have a good laugh. Um, we normally have a quiz on a Friday in which you can win free cigars. Lawrence and I chat about what's going on in the world of cigars and, uh, and anything else in between. Uh, also um, need to thank Rutherford's England, which uh, you do need to have a look at, rutherfordsengland.com. I commissioned them to make three beautiful bags for my girls for Christmas, um, and I will be getting some pictures back soon, which I'll be able to put up on social. But if you like nice things, you need to check out Rutherford's. Um, I think that's about it for now, guys. Uh, We'll keep you uh, keep you entertained as long as I can. Couple more um, things to go that I can't talk about, but there's some interesting stuff coming. The next pod, couple of weeks. In the meantime, 
stay well enjoy your cigars stay warm and look after each other mm-hmm.